Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful New Year. It's so good to have you guys here with us starting off in 2018. We are in the book of Esther, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Esther chapter 5. And as we're starting this new year, I want really to lean into to God. The scriptures tell us in James that if we draw near to him, that he will draw near to us. And I think it's interesting that it starts really with us. And the truth is God is already near, but what is necessary is for us to draw near so that maybe we can recognize that he is near. And I, I was thinking, how do we draw near? I mean, coming to church on Sunday, is that drawing near? Or are you guys sitting there and, you know, hearing? But I think it takes a little bit more. And so what I want to do is I want to start our time off with a little time of prayer. I'd like you guys to kind of close your eyes with me. I want you to kind of just sit up. And we're going to have a few minutes of prayer. And, and if a few minutes of prayer seems awkward to you, I want you to ask why. Why would a few minutes of being still, being silent, feel uneasy? Maybe it's telling us something about our busyness and about how we are so focused on other things that maybe quieting ourselves so that God can speak to us is actually foreign to us. And so would you take a deep breath in and slowly exhale? I want us to be receptive and open to what God is doing. Try and control your breathing, just steadily breathing in and breathing out. And when you breathe in, I want you to breathe in the grace of God that has greeted us this morning. And as we exhale, let's exhale the shame that is no longer ours because of what Christ has done. As we breathe in, recognize that grace empowers us, gives us strength. And as we exhale, remember that shame disables us.
And as we draw in our breath, we are recognizing the grace of God that is ours because of Christ. We're recognizing that we are no longer disabled by shame, that it does not have hold of us any longer. As you take a breath in, recognize the love that Jesus has for you. He's extended for you. As you exhale, release the resentment you have to any person or maybe an institution that has hurt you. You breathe in God's forgiveness. As you exhale, you release that same forgiveness to others around you. As you take a breath in, breathe in hope. And as you exhale, you can release despair that doesn't recognize God's presence. You breathe in, it is God who has given us the breath. It's God who has given us his spirit so that we can breathe out that same life to the world. With another breath in, breathe in the joy that belongs to us because our sin is forgiven. Because we have been adopted into his family. As you exhale, exhale the anger that maybe has taken hold of your life from your past, from things that have happened to you. Great timing on the phone there. So Lord, as we desire to draw near to you, we want to be mindful that you have breathed into man your life, that you have created us in your image, that you have extended your love to us completely through the person of Christ. And we are here able to receive all that you have for us because it is your desire to give your kingdom to your people. Lord, might we be open to all that is ours and that you would speak to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is the perfect father. Many of us have not had father or had a perfect father. Many of us as fathers have failed to be the perfect father. In fact, all of us here have failed to be the perfect father. Jesus is the perfect savior. And the Holy Spirit is the perfect comforter. And as we are here this morning, and as we begin this new year, I 
hope that those things bless you will be ours, that we would recognize these things and allow them to take part of our life so that the goodness of God can be embraced, can be received and enjoyed, and we get to live a life with the perfect Father, the perfect Savior, and the perfect Comforter. And that that would bring just a a spring of hope within us for whatever this new year has. I, I know that there are a lot of things that are pressured on our lives. There are people who are suffering from cancer. There is struggles with family who are ill. There is hardship financially. There is a lot of things that are putting pressure on our lives, but they do not diminish what God is doing in the least bit. In fact, those things that pressure us, oftentimes what they do is they allow us to see and enjoy and embrace all that God is doing so much more. And as we continue in the book of Esther, remember this is a book where God's name is not mentioned anywhere in the book, that the writer almost intentionally is trying to keep the name out because this idea of providence is so woven through the whole story that God can't be mistaken even though he doesn't show up by name, even though they don't see or acknowledge him, you can't get away from him. And last week in chapter four was kind of this culminating chapter where we see Esther actually kind of finds herself. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about sanding wood. We're going to talk about Dr. Dana Crowley, Thanksgiving in La Paz, surfing, and early morning messages. Last week, Esther was told by Mordecai, you need to go before the king because an edict by Haman has been sent out to destroy all the Jews. And you need to put your life on the line for our people. And you see, when someone asks you to put your life on the line, it rubs you the wrong way. At least it does me. Not many people ask me to put my life on the line. But if someone were, it would rub me the wrong way. So just don't do it, okay? It's like sanding against the grain of wood. You know, I I took a wood shop class years ago and we were always told you sand with the grain. Otherwise, it scars the wood. It leaves the the streaks in the wood. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to leave those streaks there in the grain. (laughs) And and so what we want to do is not allow these things that would challenge us to hinder really what is taking place. And Esther doesn't. Actually, what Esther does is then takes charge. She kind of finds her voice. And she tells Mordecai, okay, this is what I want you to do. We are going to fast before I do anything. And so she kind of takes on this position of authority. She takes on this position as the queen. She starts asserting herself in this situation. She finds her voice. 
And the unique thing, one of the unique things about this book is it's named after a woman and the central character is a woman. Again, that's something that was not heard of. It doesn't happen in any other books in the Old Testament. And here she's the prominent character and has the prominent role. There's a doctor, actually a professor, Dana Crowley. And what this doctor had done is she was counseling women and she found that there was a larger number of women who were suffering from depression than men, but they did not have someone who they could talk to about it. And what she found out after years of dealing with the women that her colleagues had really catered what they did towards the men and not towards the women. They discovered that the common complaint for the depressed female clients they had in describing their depression was a loss of self. That they didn't know who they were any longer. Some of them had been for many years silenced by others and some had been sil- had silenced themselves to keep peace with their family members. It could be with their father, it could be with their husband. Some of them silenced themselves because of their you know, professor or their boss at work and in the society that was very patriarchal, their voice didn't count. And so they thought, well, if I just do what I'm supposed to do, I will find a purpose. And then after maybe years of a marriage or years at working or being such a, such a role in their family, they found that after years they were feeling very depressed and very lost because they actually didn't have that voice. She explains that voice is an indicator of self. Speaking one's feelings and thoughts is part of creating, maintaining, and recreating one's authentic self. To have one's voice constantly ignored, contradicted, devalued, or suppressed is to find oneself excluded from important discussions and decisions. We present our ideas and our point of view. In fact, one's very self through the communication of words to be willing to risk Argument, one has to believe in the legitimacy of one's own point of view. I remember when I was going to be moving into starting Genesis, and I was wondering where I should be, if I should be up in the Napa area or not, that there was a person, a pastor, when I was saying, well, my wife and I, and he said, well, you know, this is really your decision. And I was like, whoa, you don't know my wife. (laughs) A little red flag went up because the idea was, well, you know, you're the man, you're the one who leads this. And again, there has been a silencing even in the church, as we've talked about many times, that has devalued women to a place where they have lost their voice. And what we see now is Esther finding that voice. And and more than that, what we see is she's finding herself and it's very important that she does. It's crucial, crucial that she has this place because if she doesn't find herself and her voice here, it's gonna be detrimental to the whole nation. And, And I think that that's important for you to know that your voice matters, that your opinion matters, that you matter, that God has created you with intention, 
has given you ideas, given you desires, has put things on your heart that no one else has. And it's important that you embrace that uniqueness that you have and understand that that voice is needed. It's needed here in our community. It's needed where your family is. And if anyone tries to silence that voice, then we are missing out. Then we are losing something because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are part of what we call the body of Christ. And so you're important. Your views are important. And so as Esther finds her voice, she's no longer seen as a, a, a trophy wife, right? She's no longer just the stock character in the story. But now it's her decision of how she is going to move forward. It's not just Mordecai telling her what to do. She's now telling him what to do. And she is taking the initiative. It's interesting, the comparison, because remember Vashti, the, the former queen, she didn't even have a voice. We don't know what she said. We just know that she refused to be presented or paraded out before the king and all the guests that he had in chapter one. And then so she is punished because she refuses to show up. And now Esther could be punished for showing up. And there's this kind of comparison that's been going on throughout this book. And it's true for all of us. Until we find our voice, there is a loss of self. There is a loss of opportunity. And that's where really depression can set in. So when we feel that we have no worth, we feel we have no value. And when she steps into this, things change. After three days of fasting, we see there's this critical moment that takes place. The, the setting here is more descriptive than we're used to. And, and finding in the passages. And so let's read from verses one through three. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, or it's actually the royal home, in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne. Inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. And so here, as she finds her voice and she steps into this, she becomes a person now who has a voice before the king. Why is all this royal mentioned? Right? Usually, we don't see this much description of what they're wearing and exactly where they are. But the royal robe that she is wearing qualifies her as a person who has status. She is the queen, even though the king hasn't called for her and I think it was 30 days or so. But she puts on this almost to say, this is who I am. This is how I'm clothed. I have this because this is my position. This is my place. Clothed with this. And, and as she goes before the king, setting up this thing, 
we, we see that the unique connection she has with the king in his royal house on his royal throne, she is the only one who actually connects in this royal way to him. And so it gives her a direct link to the king. So when Xerxes looks at her, he's looking at Esther, the queen. It's not just one of his concubines. She's showing up, putting her best foot forward so that she has the best chance and the loudest voice. And I think that is so wise. I think there's so much we can learn from that. I mean, first of all, we have to recognize that before our king, we have confidence to go before him, right? That we can come before him because of what he has done. We, we have a voice. But we should also come prepared. We should come because we want to have a voice. We, we want and have something to say because we have an intention to do something. I think we forget sometimes the importance that we have. I remember one time my son was applying for a job, and it was just a, a, a box boy at, uh, where was it, Stater Brothers. And I told him, because all the box boys, they have to wear ties, right? I said, wear a white shirt and wear a tie, because that's what they wear. And so he went there, and he's in a long line of guys waiting for the job, and he's the only one with a white shirt and tie. Other guys have the oversized shirts. They're wearing the real baggy pants. You know, they've got their sweatshirts and hoodies on, and they're going for the job, and he's the only one with a white shirt and tie. He got the job, right? Why? Because he dressed for the occasion. He was prepared for what was there. Esther comes, and she's prepared. She's coming there. She's going to make her best impression there. She was in the, the king's direct sight. He, he sees her. And this is important because when the king saw Esther, she obtained favor in his sight. Literally, it's in his eyes. He was pleased. And, and so he sees her and he's pleased. And that makes all the difference in the world. Right? She's not allowed, I don't think, to speak first. In fact, she's not allowed to come near him. If he doesn't raise the scepter, she could lose her life. And so she does all she can so she can be pleasing. He does give the scepter, gives that importance of, okay, now you can come and speak. And as he addresses her, he starts off very formally, right? What is it, Queen Esther? He gives her her title and acknowledges her in her title. And then she says, if it please the king. And this is a customary introduction. We've seen it before. But it's also a hinge in the story. Whenever we see if it please the king, there's a shift in the story that's going to take place. It's a very crucial part of the story. And so as she gives this, you know, traditional response, if it please the king, we are to take notes. Something big is going to happen here. Something is about to take place as she's in the king's presence. If it please the king, and we see that now she has her voice before the king himself. She's risking what she has, making an appearance without being summoned. Again, Vashti dodged the king feast Esther is now coming to prepare a feast in verse 4 Esther said if it please the king 
Let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, my wish and my request is, now we're all thinking, okay, here it comes, here it comes. But listen, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and to fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for him, for them tomorrow, and I will do as the king has said. It's like, no, you're supposed to come out and tell everyone you need to watch out for, you know, the nation of Israel. He's, Haman's going to kill us all. But she doesn't say that, right? It kind of builds up, builds up, and then, oh, it's like she chickened out. She didn't say it. She, she didn't come out with these things. It wasn't what they were expecting. And I think it's interesting that she prepares a feast after she just fasted for three days, right? I don't know if maybe fasting made her think about food. It usually does me. In fact, that's usually all I think about if I'm fasting, to tell you the truth. I'm not thinking all holy and spiritual. I'm thinking when do I get to eat? And something about food gets us, I'm going to include you in this, I don't think I'm alone, excited, especially about big meals, right? The past Thanksgiving, we were in La Paz, my family, and so we did not have a traditional Thanksgiving meal. Now, I had some pictures that I was going to bring, and I forgot my little flash drive, so you don't get to see the meal that we had, but it was amazing. What we had planned is so that we wouldn't have to say we, I never cook. Um, We wouldn't have to cook the meal for Thanksgiving, right? But usually it's my wife and my mom. They're the ones who do the cooking, but no one had to cook because what we did is we had one of our friends, mom, we paid them to make us a Thanksgiving meal, but it wasn't traditional. We had the tacos, we had the tostadas, we had the machaca burritos, we had the best tamales I've ever had in my life. We had some chili verde, we had the rice, and we had just the spread you would not believe. I got sick, I ate so much, and I'm excited thinking about it. I want to go back, right? Something about food that is just exciting. The idea of a feast is like a lively occasion. Then we start seeing the wine starts flowing. And of course, if wine starts flowing, the conversation starts flowing as well. And now the king is generous. I guess he's one of these generous guys who drinks, right? You guys know there's some people who get real happy when they drink. And there's some people who get real angry when they drink, right? And it's like, are you a happy drunk or are you, you know, angry drunk? So the king is kind of a happy happy drunk, it seems. He's like, what do you want up to half my kingdom? Which is just a way of saying, hey, I'm really happy with you. I don't think he's really saying I'm going to give you half the kingdom. It's kind of an IOU that he never signs. It's like, whatever you want, up to half the kingdom. As long as you know I'm king, I'm pleased with you. And here, Esther, instead of spilling the beans, she waits and she has something else in mind. She's waiting for something. This is the open door she needs, but she doesn't go through it like we think she would. And instead, no reason is is given but of why she did it this way, but we see that Haman kind of lets his guard down. And he's thinking, yeah, I guess I'm something. Now, if you weren't here for the first part of the story, 
Haman hates Mordecai the Jew, and so he hates really all the Jewish people. The plot and his plan is to genocide the Jewish population in all of Persia. And the edict has gone out. The king has signed it and said it can take place. And so Haman is just waiting for this to happen. Right now, he's having a good time with the king and with Esther, who he does not know, apparently, is Jewish. In verse 9, we continue. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. He sent and brought his friends and his wife, Jeresh. Bless you. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, because that's a big thing in that culture. It's part of his riches. All the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above all officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther... Let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh, she's mentioned twice, which again is interesting because women aren't usually mentioned. It's like, who is Samson's mother? We don't know is Mora's wife. That's all it says, right? We, we don't know who it is, but here Zeresh is mentioned twice here and also twice in the next chapter. It's just interesting. And all his friends said to him, let gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman. And he had the gallows made. Haman left the palace high in spirits, until he reached the gate, saw Mordecai. Mordecai did not bow to him, did not stand, did not show him any respect. And that just ate at him. And it seems like all those things that were great were extinguished by this one thing that just irked him. It's an interesting thing about how we think and how we live. You know, if a, a tragic or a hurtful event happens in your life, you remembered. It is seared in your mind. But to remember something that is beautiful or that is good, you have to think about it for at least 15 seconds to hold that memory. Isn't that interesting? So if you see something beautiful, beautiful sunset, and you just look, oh, that's beautiful, but you don't sit there and actually meditate on it, you will lose the memory of that beauty, but you will remember the traffic on the way home. Because our minds are wired that way. That to embrace something beautiful, we have to make an effort and focus on it. Otherwise, we will drown it out with all the other junk. And we see that Haman cannot focus on the fact that he's in this place of standing. He has all these things. It's all overridden by the fact that this one guy, who he calls Mordecai the Jew, wouldn't show me respect. So his family says, hey, they're going to all be killed anyway. Don't worry about it. In fact, start now and prepare a gallow. Raise a gallow and set it up so that he can die on it. Now, 
the gallows aren't like what we think of when we think of gallows where we have a hangman's noose and those. The gallows in Persia were basically a stake in the ground that they impaled people on. Wonderful, right? But this one is 75 feet high. Why do you need it to be 75 feet high? Right? It's like this is excess. 50 cubits. Why do you have to make it this high? And it pleased him. Yes, this is a good thing. How tall does it have to be? He's pleased with their counsel and he orders it to be built. And it's as if about hearing this plan, it immediately gives him relief. This idea of vengeance starts eating at him, right? Why? did Esther wait? You know, in the garden, Jesus told his disciple to watch and to wait. There was to be a watchfulness. There was to be a meditative state. There was to be a focused perception. And then you were supposed to give it time. Something that I think we failed to do, which is why at the beginning I wanted to take some time and purposely wait and maybe uncomfortably for some of us, pause and just take time to, to sit and to focus on God's goodness, on God's grace, to allow our minds to, to watch and just to wait before we just rush through church. But sometimes you don't know if you're not there. When I was in high school, my first year of high school was at Santa Monica, at Samo High. And at the high school, it was an amazing school. They had this outdoor uh, amphitheater. You could actually see the ocean from where we would sit. And so for lunch, me and some of my friends would go down to this little hamburger stand and sit at the beach and eat our lunch there at the beach. It was really cool. And sometimes we'd go back. Um, <laughs> But my friends were surfers. Most of them were. I wasn't really. I surfed in Hawaii once, but I wasn't a surfer. I could boogie board, but it's not the same, according to them. Um, and when I sit there with them, they would start talking about the waves because there's always guys out there surfing, right? And they go, oh, man, look at that left. Look at that left. And they're saying all these things. Oh, man, he's going to drop out. He's going to drop out. And I'm thinking, drop out like a school? You know, it's like they have all this terminology and they're talking about. And they would say things. And I remember like, well, why doesn't he take that one? Why doesn't he take that? And I remember one guy says, you don't know it unless you're in it. Right? If you're in the wave, then you know the wave. You don't know it unless you're in it. You see, you might be paddling that wave, and for us out on the shore, it looks like it's a great wave, but there in it, you see, that it's not quite ready to break. It's not quite ready for them to take it, and so it's not really the choice wave for them because they're there. They're, they're in the water. They're perceiving what's going on. You see, Esther was in it. She was taking the temperature of the environment, of the king, of Haman. She was already watching and waiting. She had spent three days fasting. And in that period of time, she had come up with something because she was in it. It's easy for us to look at others and say, well, why don't you just do this? It seems like the right thing to do. But if you're not, you don't really know what they're going through. 
happens in, in relationships with family. Why don't you just tell them to stop this and to do this? It's like, you don't know the temperature of our house. It's at a boiling point. If I were to say that, you'd have to call 911, right? Because it's not ready for that to take place. Have you ever wanted to have a conversation with someone? It's like, when they get here, I'm going to tell them what I think. And they come in and they slam the books on the ground. Like, I can't believe I had the worst day ever. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry. I ain't going to talk now, right? It's like, I'm going to hold my tongue because it's not the right time. See, Haman built the gallows right there. Esther watched, waited. Haman couldn't wait to react. She was responding to what was taking place. And in the New Testament, there are three words that are used for time, aside from the ages or from eternity. And we've talked about this before. The first one is chronos, right? It's chronology. It's from the time you're born you know, to the time you die, you know, from when I was born in Flagstaff, Arizona, to when I die in Hawaii. Just throwing it out there in case. It's a succession of moments. There's also aura, H-O-R-A, and it's a specific block of time. It's an hour, a day, spring, summer. It's secluded to a special part of time. Jesus in John eleven nine 9 says, are there not 12 hours in the day? The word aura is used, right? This is how many hours there are in the day. And then there's a third word, which is kairos, which is an, a, a unique moment in time, right? When the fruit ripens or a harvest comes and it's just right, that's the kairos. It's the perfect time for that to take place opportune time or even divinely appointed time. Paul uses it in Romans chapter five or six. For while we were still hopeless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It was a a special moment. It was at the perfect time. It was a divine moment that intersected that chronos moment. And we are always in this chronos time, looking at our watch, looking at our calendar, trying to find out how much time I am plagued with my devices, right? I have to see, I'm at a lesson last, yesterday I had two lessons and I was at one lesson and I know that I have to be done with this lesson at 2.30 because it's going to take me a half hour to get to my next lesson at three o'clock, but I can't be rude and look, you know, tell the person I got to go because just can't do it. It's not good business. You know, so I'm kind of just casually looking at, you know, I'm just like, okay, what time is it? I'm just driven by this time. I've got to be there at a certain time. I've got to do these things. And it seems like we're always locked into this kind of chronos time. And it takes something big to stop that. Right? Uh, my child, my children being born, that was a, a kairos moment. It, time stopped. And that was unique time. You could even say like a 9-11 when that took place. That was a, a kairos moment. Even though it's not a good moment, time seemed to spot, stop. It seemed like a very unique moment where everyone seems to remember where they were when that happened because something unique happened. It shocked us out of that 
just typical living in time. And we experience Kairos when those special events break into our chronology. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the Septuagint, in chapter 4 where it says, such a time as this, the word for time is kairos, a special time. Who knows if you were in the kingdom, this palace for such a time as this. How do we wake up to Kairos moments? How do we wake up to when God is doing something powerful and become aware of it? See, we have to watch. We have to wait. That's prayer. Something has to be important. We have to stop the clock and allow something else to take place. This morning, as I was preparing for the talk, I get up early just because it allows me a little fresher mind to think. And as I'm putting things together, I usually have my thoughts. I just want to put them all together. I usually get the pictures that I'm going to put up that I forgot. And as I was putting all this together, my phone flashed. And I thought, oh, what's that? And it was a, a voice text message, right? You guys ever get those? And it, it didn't, all of a sudden I got a voice text message and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it was from someone I was like, oh, what is, what are they doing? And what are they sending this message? And it's a person who we've done some events for. I don't know if you guys know, a while back we did a thing, the Starving Artists. And uh, Nikki and her sister Genesis put this on and they do some amazing things with some amazing artists. And it turns out that both of them actually sing at Saddleback and know my son, Daniel, Right? I said, you guys are at Saddleback. Do you know Daniel? I go, oh, we love Daniel. I go, yeah, everyone loves Daniel. Right? And they, oh, we know him. And so they do actually worship for a lot of different churches and very involved and just um, wonderful, wonderful people. And, and she left me this message and she just said, I don't know why, but you are on my heart this morning. And she just went on in this encouraging word. And I don't talk to her ever, but just out of the blue, I've got this message and just telling me, you know, that God is using me, God wants to use me. And then she prayed for me. It's all in this voice message, right? And I'm all hearing it. I'm like in tears. And I'm just like being moved as I'm, you know, listening to this. And then they go away. You know, I don't know why that is. It's like, no, really, it happened. You know, I'm not just making this up. But the message goes away. But it was a very Kairos moment for me. It was a time where I was actually able to break out of my mindset to actually receive something that someone was saying to me and be aware of what God is doing in me. And you see, what we need to do oftentimes is to pause, to allow that other voice to interrupt our routine, to watch and to wait so that that awareness is here. You see, because... God is always working. Kairos moments are always happening. We're just blind to them. We're just deaf to that voice. And until that call, that voice message comes in, we don't know it's there, but it is. And you see, Jesus is the Kairos of God. He is that message that broke in from eternity and into our lives that 
presents to us God that invites us into that presence. And we know that he's here. We believe that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he is with us even to the end of the age. But we become deaf to that voice. And what we need to do is we need to to watch and to wait. We need to pause the busyness and we have to intentionally do that or it will go by us. And Esther was in that space. She was riding that wave. She was in it, the thick of it. And she knew what to do. She knew to watch. She knew to wait. She knew that this was the time, but it had to happen in this way. And that Kairos moment was hers to take because of that. She was at the right place at the right time. She had found her voice. Have you? Have you found your voice? Do you realize the importance? Have you made the most of the moments that for your life? That there is a Kairos moment that you are called into. Now notice that Esther was there for everyone else. Haman was there for himself. You see, these Kairos moments that show up, they're not going to show up just for you. They're going to show up so that you can be there for others. That's what Jesus shows us. Are you hearing his voice? And are you finding yours? Because we need it. We need it here at Genesis. Your family needs it. The people at work need it. This world needs you to find your voice. And of course, you need it as well. It is how you fulfill the life that God has called you to live. So let's watch and let's wait. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be still and know that you are God. Help us to not let life run us without us hearing from you. And Lord, there are many here who need to find their voice many in this room who do not think that they matter to the kingdom. Maybe some here don't even believe they matter to you. Maybe they have been quenched because their voice has been silenced by people around them and they feel that it Their words have no meaning and have no significance. And I pray that this morning that they would see that is untrue. And just as Esther 
this one Jewish young girl found her voice and saved the nation, we too can find that voice if we will listen, if we will watch, if we will wait, if we will step into it instead of trying to step away from it. We will allow you to capture our lives. My prayer for this new year, Lord, is that we would all allow you to capture us. That we would all take the time to hear what you would say to us so that we could know how to act. Lord, what could we do for your kingdom if we would watch and wait? What difference could we make in the lives around us if we would step in, find our voice, and let you lead us? I pray we find out, God. I pray we find out. You ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you find your voice. May you clothe yourself with the royalty that God gives, the righteousness of Christ, and clothe yourself with humility. And may you step in to the life that God is preparing for you. May you watch and wait. May we all wonder. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. See you Wednesday if you can make it. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.